The following for the city sermon is from our sermon series by Pastor Scott Rising entitled Feast for Failures from the book of Luke. We hope you enjoy it. We're going to be in Luke 13. We've, we've been working our way through Luke over the past couple of, well, not couple of years, the past year. We're entering year two. And um, the Gospel of Luke, we've titled this sermon series A Feast for Failures, right? I think as you continue to hear this this word preached, it becomes very clear why that is, right? Jesus came to break bread with those who have fallen in every way, fallen short of the glory of God, and, and he comes and he breaks bread with them, and he's willing to have his body broken for them so that they might eat with the Father forever. And there are only failures <laughs> and people who think they're not, right? That's all we've seen throughout this gospel. Uh, we're going to be picking it up right where we left off with the picture of the narrow door, right? Jesus said there's a, it's a narrow door into the kingdom. He said, but it's wide open, but you can only come in by the way I've said, which is through Christ. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody gets to the Father. Nobody gets to God apart through me. So he says, this is the way. There's no other way in, but this is a beautiful way. So come on in. Right? That was the message last week, if you missed it. We also learned, though, that the people of God are not those who are born of a certain nation. Right? I think Israel and the Hebrews, they were, they were like, we're God's people. And in one sense, they are. But this people must be born again. Because even this Hebrew nation was warring against God. They wanted nothing to do with Him. And, and yet they were... They were pretty lax about their approach towards God and their approach towards worship. But we learned that rather, and it shouldn't have been nothing new, those who are God's children are those who have received Christ by faith. It's those who trust God. It's always been this way, by the way. Don't think that's a New Testament thing. No, Abraham was saved by faith, right? Moses by faith. And you might be like, in who? In Christ. And you're like, whoa, but Jesus didn't step on the scene for like some 2,000 years after those moments. How is that possible? Keep coming. You'll keep learning. But, but it's been clear that God's people are always a people of faith. And that's always been the case. So that's where we pick it up in verse 31. And Jake, I'll need a timer. I could go all day. I don't mind. They will. <laughs> verse 31 says this, at that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, get away from here for Herod wants to kill you. Things that make you go, hmm. Things that make you go, hmm. All right. The reason that makes you go, hmm, if you're paying attention, is because it is not clear why the Pharisees would do this, right? Right? The Pharisees saying, get out of here. Go. Why? Because Herod wants to, to kill you, which makes me be like, are these friends, right? There is no doubt that Jesus had friends who were Pharisees, right? We know Nicodemus from John 3 would come to trust and to believe in Jesus as Messiah and find life in him. However, that's not the majority. The majority of the Pharisees right now are stiff-necked, red-hot, angry at Jesus Christ because everywhere Jesus goes, he just kind of keeps poking them in the eye, right? He had a couple woes for them and a couple, I mean six. He's, he's been calling them hypocrites 
everywhere he goes. They keep on saying, hey, Jesus, I got a question for you. And he keeps on following that question up with a question for them. And the question almost always reveals, you guys aren't picking up what I'm laying down. So it's, I just wonder, I don't know, are they friendly? Are they hostile? I have no clue. But, but I, I lean towards the other. I lean towards, this is a scheme of the Pharisees to drive Jesus into a trap. That's my guess. I don't know. Uh, I don't think the Bible is clear here. Either way, let's continue. Look at verse 32. And he said to them, go and tell that fox. <laughs> Kevin laughed. It is, it is funny because it's strange language to us. Go and tell that fox. He says, behold, I, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, notice this, I must. Anytime God says, I must, it's a, it's a divine command. He says, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Jesus is the perfect prophet. He's the last prophet right? Ultimately, everybody was, you know, John was the prophet. And if you remember, this same Herod is the one that served John's, John the baptizer's head on a platter. So he is quite a fox. He, he, he's not something to be trifled with, but Jesus is not afraid of him. He's not phased by him. He gets all street. He says, go tell that fox, right? It sounds a little street to me, right? In our cultural context, that might come across as a compliment, right? Uh, Sam or somebody, I think it was Sam, she sent me this video. It's like, what does a fox say? Because she was reading the text. No, 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 no. I don't know how to do it, right? I love that video. I'll tell you why I love that video, because this girl's in her word, and she's anticipating the next sermon, and she, her brain thinks a lot like mine, which is very strange, and, and she sees that, and she's like having fun, but she's trying to figure it out. I appreciate her laboring in the word to know that, but we think of Fox, most often we think of Sly, Clever, um, someone would say, ooh, he's a silver fox, or she's a foxy lady, right? That's not what we should think of when we hear Jesus call Herod a fox. Actually, you should think probably more insignificant, weakling, scavenger type, who sneaks around stealing eggs from mama birds. That's what you should think about. And one writer said this, I love it. He said, kings are lions, Herod is a fox, <laughs> meaning Jesus is, is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. Actually, we know from the word, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he's like, you just go tell that fox, meaning I'm not afraid of him. It takes courage if you're going to reach people with the gospel. It takes courage. Now, we, we can't have the same courage Jesus had because Jesus was perfect. He knew when his day would come. And he knew it was not going to happen outside of Jerusalem because that was the father's plan. Okay, so but he says, go tell that fox. Now, to be clear, Herod is capable of great evil. History has shown that. We've already heard about it once again of what he did to John the baptizer. However, Jesus vows to continue the God-given mission of driving out demons, of healing people that will ultimately culminate in his crucifixion and his death and his resurrection. Nothing 
Not even this fox, Herod, is going to end up doing anything to stop him reaching his goal, which is dying for the sins of the world, triumphantly resurrecting from the grave, defeating Satan's sin and death, and ultimately calling people to repent of their sins and to trust and believe in him, in his sacrifice, and have life with God. See, Jesus is courageous here because he is the sovereign king of kings. We can often make the mistake of thinking, oh, no, he's, he's just a, he's a nice fella, just always handing out these little comments. No, he's, he is fierce. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And you should never separate the two. You should never make him. I just only like him as a lamb. He's cuddly. Well, he is cuddly if you think of the sense he's kind, he's compassionate. He's, he's even going to give a description here of a, of a mother hen who's just saying, I've so long to just bring you to myself and give you protection and care and love. That's kind. Lamb of God, willing to be slaughtered for the sins of the people. But he is fierce. He is fierce. And, and so many times we just get distorted. Right? I like, I like Rambo Jesus, who's always angry. I just like the lamb Jesus. He just never tells me I'm doing anything wrong. And Jesus won't trifle with any of that. He is who he says he is. He's not afraid. Why? Because in John 10, 18, he says this. No one takes, he means my life, from me. No one. But I actually, I laid down my life of my own accord. I have, he's saying, authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Oh, how many times people make the mistake of saying, oh, I, don't, I just can't get down with this Christian faith because what father would, would do that to his son as if the son did not happily submit to the plan of the father to go and to receive the wrath of God in the place of sinners. Happily Happily. Why? Because he's a kind God. He is, he's a merciful God. He is a wrathful God. And the mercy and the severity of God come together upon the cross, and Jesus is triumphant there. And so he receives this plan from the Father and says, yes, Lord. Yes, if this is what will exalt the name of God to the nations, to the world, I would be overjoyed. And make no mistake about it, it is the Father's plan and decree that it be done this way. That Jesus would go on in his works, into his suffering, and that no scheme of the, of the clown Herod, real or concocted, can change that. See, Jesus is resolved in his mission. His face is like flint towards Jerusalem. And it doesn't just mean because I'm gone to this, this city. He said, I'm going to my death. And I know I'm going to my death. And the people whom I love will crucify me. Why? Because that's the only way to actually get to a place where my Father can love them. Why? Because people, apart from the grace of God, are not lovable. You and I are sinful people. We're sinful. You might have some loving tendencies, but we worship a holy God. And nothing but perfect people can come near him. Otherwise, it would be like you and I in our natural physical state right now trying to hug the sun. You'd be incinerated. Any, that's actually more possible probably than a sinful human being coming near to a holy God. And yet, a holy God desires that sinful people come near to him. Why? Because he loves. And so he does what's necessary to bring us near. 
Jesus is resolved. That's why he stands courageously in this moment in the unfailing plan of the Father. He knows that he will be slaughtered in Jerusalem. Which, by the way, is the headquarters of all the religious elite. The, the ones who are ultimately working to destroy Jesus. Why? Because he's not the king they want. And so he continues. Look at thir- verses 34 and 35 with me. He says, O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. Pause just for a second. God has been sending men and women all throughout the ages to tell God's people to repent, to turn, to trust in the Father's plan, to trust in God. And not only do they stiffen their necks and and say, we don't want that message, they actually kill the messengers. I mean, all throughout the history of the Old Testament, you see and hear about how every prophet, I mean, that's hyperbole, not every prophet, but almost all the prophets who were sent were martyred. And so he sends this last prophet, and then he says, Jesus says this, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing? Behold, your house is forsaken. I don't know what that is. I don't know if that's the temple. I don't know if that's Jerusalem in general. We don't know. We know that the temple was torn down in 70 AD, but, but I don't know. But he's saying, your house is forsaken. And he says, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. See, Jesus, he explodes in a lament here over the condition of Jerusalem's sin, their rebellion, and ultimately their hard heart as they refuse to be gathered by God. The God they say they worship. Every Saturday, they, they make their trek into, into Jerusalem, into the temple to worship, right? This God loves them, but it's all a show for the most part. There were truly worshipers of God who really did love him, but as a whole, the nation, no way. They, they, want, they were using God essentially to get what they want, which was money and power and all these different things, and, and God was done. See, Jerusalem was supposed to be the place on earth that was a place of peace. It's actually in its name. Jerusalem is a combination of two Hebrew words, which means this, foundation and peace. Jerusalem was to be a foundation of peace. To who? To the nations, to be able to say, wow, is your God amazing? Wow, is your God amazing? It it literally means foundation of peace. For a time, Jerusalem, I mean, there were moments in history where it was a foundation of peace. I mean, I think of King David, uh, the king after God's own heart. There was a moment and there were times where he was worshiping and the people were worshiping God. Uh, it was, Jerusalem was the capital, right, uh, of Judah, the city of Solomon's temple, right? People come in to see that. God put his name and his presence in Jerusalem, right, at the... At the mercy seat of God, it was a special place. It was a holy place. It was a foundation of peace. It was to represent His kindness, His love to a world. And so were His people. Oh, but, but so much had changed. Jerusalem did not remain a place of peace. And it never really was a place of peace because of the fall. I mean, there's just moments 
We've had moments of peace in America, thank God. But, but maybe you were living in a different city where I don't know if I've ever had a moment of peace, right? It, it's all in perspective where you live, but it became a place where the people of God had rejected his message to the point they're killing the messengers. How awful. See, you, you make the mistake of thinking, well, they just hated the messengers. No, they hated the message. And if you hate the message of God, what you're ultimately saying is, I hate God. You should, you should never make the mistake of, 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 of thinking. You can just come to the text like Benjamin Franklin and start cutting out sections and make your own Bible in your own image, because my God would never say that. My God would never do that. What you're ultimately saying is, I don't love God. I don't love him. I don't love his word. Now, I'm not telling you that there's not times when I come to a text and I'm like, well, that's a hard word. And my natural bent is not to submit to that and say, hallelujah. But I'm telling you right now, by God's grace, I'm saying this word is struggling for me to hear God bring my finite thinking into alignment to see your beauty. Help me to receive this word. Help me to embrace this word. Help me to hear this word in the way that you're delivering. Because I know you. And I know your character. And I know your beauty. And if I, if I don't see it as that, it's because I'm out of alignment. Well, this people not only would not receive the message, they were like, well, no, we're going to kill the messengers. We're tired of hearing you telling us to repent. We're tired of hearing you tell us to, to knock off our evil ways and to quit worshiping at the altars of, of false gods to the point you're going to die if you don't shut up. And they wouldn't shut up. They couldn't shut up because they were the mouthpiece of God. And so they killed them. All throughout the Old Testament, you can read of this. This is no doubt a very sad and bleak picture as God's people were blessed in order to be a blessing to the world. Read Genesis 12 and on. However, in the end, Jesus' compassion, his love for this people will be met with rejection. The city will neither receive Christ's compassion nor his love. They will kill him. And so he is lamenting the fact. Uh, lament, not a word we use often, um, right? It's really not. It's not generally in our vocab. Uh, lament is just, it's expressing deep sorrow and grief over a travesty, Injur injustices, sickness, death, brokenness that we find within this fallen world. I mean, even as I stand here and preach, we hear sirens going. I don't know where they're going. I don't know what they're doing. I know anytime you hear sirens go like that, it's never great. Someone's life was interrupted in a way you just don't want it to be interrupted by. As we sit here in, in, in the, the cool or the warmth or whatever of this room, someone's life just changed right now in a way that you just probably don't even want to think about. I've been thinking a lot about this word lament recently, both in my ministry and, and personally. I've had many conversations about people who are with, people who are suffering, people who are struggling in this particular season. Lament, by the way, is just a, it's not a topic that gets much attention on a Sunday morning. Could we agree with that? I mean, at least in the circles I run. It's, it's just really not. Uh, many churches throughout America, that's just, hey, we're going to lament Sunday. Come on in. Woo! 
I think I'll skip this Sunday, right? And we'll go camping. Um, it's almost always tucked away from the general view when, when people are really hurting, which is strange, right? It's so strange as we consider those who are near to us, right? People who have concerns about their own life, their, their own physical and mental health. It's strange. Lament should just be, it should almost always be lament Sunday till Jesus returns. I mean, there are moments where we're rejoicing and there are moments where we're weeping and sometimes they can even come together and you rejoice while you weep. But I got to tell you, most days are not full of sunshine for the general public. I think it's more weeping than it is rejoicing. There's moments, and thank God for those moments. But man, the people I run with, bouts of depression, anxiety, fear of personal safety, fear of loved ones. Maybe you're struggling like that. Maybe you're not struggling at all. But, but people are weary. As I talk to people, they're very weary. They're, they're, they're very fragile. Tears just come to their eyes pretty quickly. Mine too. In so many ways, the church has seemed to struggle with the thought of lament. And I've thought, well, why is that? And I have a lot of thoughts. Not, I can't get into all of them. But I think it's compassion fatigue. I think it's compassion fatigue. All over our, our phones and, and, and all over the website. We just see all these things. We become kind of numb and callous to the hurting of people. Because it kind of seems distant to us. It's not really me. And, it's, and what it's done, at least in, in, as from my little view, it's created a cold cynicism within America, but I'm seeing it within the church. We're just cynics. We don't even know how to weep with people who weep. We want to fix it. We're a to-do people. Let me tell you what you need to do. Here's your seven steps to getting a better life. Okay, I've done all seven. Now what? Because my life still sucks. And we don't talk like that. We don't think like that, but God's people just, God help us to learn how to lament. Because it seems trite when, when we come and we give our, our, our little text and we slap it on like it's, you know, like a, a Xanax, a scripture Xanax that's just going to fix you. And, and it just seems so disheartened. I think the church needs to learn how to lament. How do we learn? How do we learn anything? <laughs> By God's grace. We, we learn as we look to Christ. We learn as we look to His Word. We ask the Holy Spirit, who is a real and present helper in our time of need, to teach us. Maybe you need to lament the fact that I don't know how to lament, and I don't even know the last time I did. That's a great place to start, by the way. It's confession, and it's asking the Lord to meet you in that moment. Lord, I do feel like a cold cynic. God, soften my heart. Soften my heart. That's a great prayer to pray if, if maybe you're hearing this and I don't even know what you're talking about, this lament thing. I don't want to lament. I just want to go watch the football game and eat some chicken wings. And forget about all this heartache. But I'm telling you right now, if this church is ever going to be a church where people want to come in and find refuge, it will have to be a church that will weep with its neighbors. For our neighbors. Which requires you know your neighbors. And that you, that you create a space where people can actually open up to you. Because I'm going to tell you right now, everybody's faking until they're not. 
Do people open up to you like that? If not, maybe you're not given a space where they can. You've got to build real relationship where people can bring in real weighty problems and say, I'm dying. Help. And it's not your responsibility to fix all their problems. You can't. Oh, but you can listen. You can sit with them. You can weep with them. You can pray with them. You can ask God to have much mercy with them. And then if there's a tangible thing we can meet, God help us to meet it. Help us to meet it. In so many ways, I've just seen the church struggle, but God help us as we look to Jesus who is full of compassion to be like him. Don't miss the beautiful picture that Jesus is painting here. He's, he's painting a picture of a mother bird. When I think of Jesus, I never think of a mother bird. Does anyone else? This is not a thought that I have. It just, just doesn't come to my mind. And yet he's painting that here. He longs to protect them. He longs to protect us with the instinct of a mother hen. I've seen some moms want to protect their babies. I love this picture he gives. Why? Because he is so fierce. But he's willing, he's willing to die for his children. He longs to protect them. He wants them to know of his love. But th these little chicks have been known for fighting, <laughs> biting old mom, ripping her feathers out. And he longs to protect them from like a fox, right? In order to protect his chicks. Um, even, even when they sacrifice their... <laughs> hens have been known to sacrifice their own lives for their young. I read a story because I'm like, why does he use this? So I'm looking up like actual stories. Here's what, I found one, ready? Uh, here's a little story to illustrate it. A forest fire burnt down a farmhouse in western Canada. As the embers cooled, the devastated farmer was walking over the ruins and noticed a burnt lump on the ground. He prodded it with a stick, and he saw that it was a hen burned to death. The farmer turned over the hen, and guess what? To his surprise, out ran three chirping baby chicks. Oh, the hen had died in the flames, even as it was saving the lives of the helpless babies. And I'm like, wonder what that chicken tastes like, <laughs> right? Fried chicken. <laughs> Some ladies are like, oh, it's such a sweet story. I'm like, don't waste that chicken. Get some barbecue sauce. Jesus uses this picture to help us think of his love. Of his love. We should think about it. Right? Jesus is comparing himself to a hen that longs to pull rebellious little chicks under her wings. He doesn't use the, the image of a loud, boastful rooster. A tender mama. Come. I've longed to bring you in. You want nothing to do with me. Is that you? How do, you, how do you help someone who doesn't want to be helped? If you've lived long enough, you've had to ask that question. Or maybe it's been asked of you, but seriously, how do you help someone who doesn't want to help? As a pastor, I've witnessed so much heartbreak on any given Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, of people who Someone sees someone hurting themselves in a thousand ways and they're like, you got to help and you try to help and they want none of your help. They don't want help. 
Uh, we have teachers in this gathering, a handful of them. I guarantee if I were to ask them, they've witnessed many students who they long to help, and the students don't want any of their help. I, I know that we have, we, have a, we have an abundance of nurses, which is good. Thank you, Lord. We love the nurses because if we fall down, they know what to do, right? But I guarantee if I were to ask Megan, she's had a lot of people who she's trying to help, and they don't want her help. Just give me a shot. Thanks, Gabe. That's good. We have, we, have, we have parents who have young children, adult children, teen children, who just make self-destructive decisions, and, they, and you just want nothing but to help them. And they want nothing to do with you. They stiff arm you, they stiffen their neck, and they continue their folly. In the same way, we have adult children who have the joy and the burden of caring for their aging parents who just literally want to die, and they don't want your help. How do you help people who don't want to live? How do you help people who, who are hurting? Jesus knows that pain. If, if you're like, I know, oh, I have that situation in my life right now. I don't know the answer to it. I wish I knew the answer. I, I don't know that I have the answer for you, but I do have this. Christ knows what it's like to want to help people who don't want help. And guess what? Until the Lord saved you, you're that people. I'm that person. Oh, how many times the Lord sought to bring me under his wings and give me life and give me care. I wanted nothing to do with him. And he continued to just track me down, to call me home, and to give me shelter. I didn't want it until I, I had no other place to run. And he said, I've been here the whole time. And by God's grace, I came in. It's the greatest place in the world to be in and under the grace of God and not under his wrath. This is what we're talking about. Jesus says, how often would have I gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? But you are not willing. Can you feel his heart? Because you need to feel his heart if you ever want to see people come in to receive Christ. Through your ministry. Too many times we just do evangelism drive-bys. Just give some information. Yeah, Jesus, Jesus loves sinners. You should repent and believe. And they don't even know you. Lamb of God died for your sins. They don't. What does that mean? Well, if you just don't repent, you're just going to burn in hell. Thanks. Oh, he is in the mud with them. And he is weeping at their hard heart. He is weeping that they want nothing to do with him. He was talking to God's people. You would not come in. The people that God had delivered from Egypt, right? The people that God had, had, had fed in the wilderness, right? The people that... He had welcomed into the promise and they want nothing to do with him. You feel the pain of that? Jesus was not God's first messenger who was attempting to help them. God had sent prophet after prophet and they had rejected them. Now they're rejecting Jesus who is God incarnate. He is God in the flesh and they want nothing to do with him by and large. They would not be helped. They would not be helped. 
And so, because his people refused to turn to him, Jesus, with a broken heart, gave this prophecy. He said, Behold, your house is forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is very real with everything that's going on in the nation of Israel right now. Mom praying right now specifically that the pain of what's going on there would cause them to, to, to see the God who's calling them in for real safety, real shelter. His final word is doom, yet it contains hope. It contains hope. Israel's hope is never finally extinguished, right? Why? Because God's a God of promise <laughs> in spite of us. He's, he's just a God who just keeps his word, right? I fully believe that there will come a day when many in, and I'm talking masses in Israel and will, will, in Jerusalem will come and have a right response to their Savior who loves them. I believe that. I hope I see that day. But make no mistake about it, everyone will confess Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords, either willingly or your knee will bend, your tongue will confess, and you have no option. Why? Because he is. Gosh, don't we want them to do that from a willing heart, from a willing tongue, from a tongue that says, oh, my Lord, oh, my King, I've longed for your return. Well, we have a part in that, but I got to tell you, that kind of heart surgery we can't do, so we pray and we labor in love and in compassion. So here's your point for the text. It's a long sentence. <laughs> I just looked at it again. Whew. My English teacher would not have been happy. <laughs> Paul had long sentences. Ready? Jesus has accomplished everything regarding salvation through his loving determination to die in Jerusalem in order to lay a foundation of peace between God and sinful humanity. See, the gathering of sinful people requires ransoming and redeeming. It requires that blood be shed. And he knows it. This, this requires way, way more than weeping over them. Jesus is weeping over that nation. And if you're not in Christ right now, I don't think it's a stretch to say he's weeping over your soul. But you better be covered by way more than tears if you want to ever see the face of the Father and if you ever want to see Jesus face to face and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Come on into my joy. Come on into my peace. The only way that happens is not that you're covered with tears, but that you're covered with the blood of Christ. It requires sacrifice. It requires a substitute. And it requires you to believe and to trust in Him wholly. See, see Jesus is... God accomplishes this work through Jesus' death upon a cross in Jerusalem. He's going to lay a foundation of peace. He's going to lay a way of peace. It's not by mistake. Have you come under God's wings to stick with the metaphor? Have you come out from under his wrath? Have you come under his grace, under his wings? Have you? I'm trusting you have. I'm hoping you have. And if you haven't, well, then today seems like a great day to do that. It just seems like a great day. By the way, tomorrow is a great day. Every day, great day for salvation. In case you're ever wondering. But today, why? Because you're not promised tomorrow. 
Oh, but in America, we're so fooled. We think we are. We have this perceived safety thing going on. I'm so safe. My 401k looks good. Mine looks much worse now. Can I get a witness? It didn't look great before. I'm just trusting somebody will bring this old man in and feed me like crushed up peas. I'm just trusting that because, right, I, you're going to need that. But if not, whatever. We have a perceived understanding that we think we're safe. You're, you're one second away from meeting the Lord. It, it could happen through a car wreck. It could happen through some tragedy that happens in your life. You can just, right now, boom, fall over dead. Don't think you know the day it'll come when, well, I'll get serious about you, Jesus, after I do some of these things. You know, those things that we just don't want to talk about. Uh-uh. Today, let today be the day that you come under his wings and you receive. There's no better place to be. See, I'm, I'm trusting, though, that many of you have. I'm trusting that many of you have. That's why you come here to worship, <laughs> right? It's why you're coming. You're coming here to worship the Lord. You're coming here to be reminded of good news. You're coming here to, to be reminded there's a God in heaven amidst all this chaos who loves you, who knows you. I'm trusting that. That's why you come here week after week with faith in your hearts to receive forgiveness, life, and good news. Because we need good news. Don't resist the mercy of God. Happily go. Find shelter under His wings. Family, the Lord has done it all. He's done it all. He, he seeks to gather us beneath the cross where He speaks a word of peace, where He speaks a word of forgiveness where his redeeming love is made known to people. He gathers his people as a family. And we call this family the church. And he supports us. He defends us. He empowers us. And he equips us to go out and to be his hands and his feet to a world who is weeping with a God who's weeping over them, but they don't know or love him. He's called us to this work. He is the hen who never gives up on his chicks. He is our protector. He is our provider. He is the risen Savior. And he's not done bringing people in. This, this is why we're here. This is why I'm here. That's why I'm here. This is the work I'm giving my life to. I'm asking you to give your life to. I'm asking you to give your life to this mission. If it isn't here, I, I'm not actually concerned about that, but it better be with a church that seeks to do that. Will you give your time? So many of you do. I'm so, I think, appropriately very proud of you as a people. Time, your talent, your treasure. I'm talking Benjamins, right? Will you give your life to the work that God has? Because this thing's all going to wrap up soon. Oh, are you saying Jesus is coming in the rapture thing? No, I'm not saying. I'm saying he is coming. I don't know when. It could be like thousands of years from now. Could be tomorrow. Could be today. Everyone's like, hope it's after the Steeler game. Oh, get your head on bigger things. <laughs> I am saying he is coming. But chances are, if that doesn't happen soon, you'll go see him sooner than later. That I know. That I know. Some of you are pretty young, but it goes quick. I know. I was young like you once. Jesus has risen from the grave. He continues his mission of gathering people into his family. How does he do that? Through his family. Let's look at one big chunk of text, and then we'll, we'll be finishing up pretty directly. Well, I got some time. 
And uh, look at 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through chapter 6, verse 3. You can follow along here. You can have it open in your Bible. You can look at it later and just reference it now. So it says this, for the love of Christ controls us. That's what my prayer is for this church also often, that the love of Christ would control this people, that we'd be known for love, right? Because we have concluded this, that one, Jesus has died for all, right? Therefore, all have died, and he died for all, that those who live, that's us, no longer live for themselves. Oh boy, do we need that message within the church. I don't mean just this church. But, but for him, we live for him. For their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Listen, therefore, because of this gospel, because Christ has laid down his life to save a people. If anyone is in Christ, that's anyone who's trusting in Jesus for their salvation, he is a new creation. You are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You're being renewed, but you are being renewed from a state of being new. You've been born again, right? The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. You see the language is very similar. And now look at this. He has given us something. And look what he's given us. He's given us this ministry of reconciliation. That's our work. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us this message, this gospel message of reconciliation. These words have the power to produce life in people who are dead in their sins. We, we proclaim the gospel of God's grace. People hear the message. The Holy Spirit accompanies that word. And we pray, brings them to a place to see their sin, to turn from their sin, and to trust God. That's a ministry of reconciliation. That's our work. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. We get to represent King Jesus. That's our work. God, listen, making his appeal through us. We implore you. This word implore is beg earnestly. I'm begging you to come under his shelter. We implore you. It isn't like just a little drive-by, a little church. No, I'm begging you, come receive. Come receive him. On behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And here's the good news. For our sake, he, Jesus, or God, made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You not only need your sins forgiven, you need righteousness in Christ. Christ provides both. He provides both. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you. Not to receive this grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Church family, if, if we indeed are a new creation in Christ, as this text says, which we are, we cannot help but be taken up into the work of reconciling people to God. 
by God's power. That's his call in our lives. We don't understand king language often, but you just don't negotiate with kings. And can I just tell you, this work is joyous. What else would you give your life to? Really, what, what else would you give your life to? And you do it in the everyday stuff of life. I'm not talking like, all right, time to sell all my stuff and just go and be like a dandelion head when the wind blows. I'm saying, no, the people where you work need to know this. You're going to interact with people I'll never interact with. God says, do this work of reconciling them. Love them. Weep with them. Get to know them. Pray for them. Ask God to save them. Do this work. Implore them. Earnestly beg them in an appropriate way. We must plead earnestly for the people to come near and find shelter in the grace of God. But remember, it is not your job to force anything or anyone. You can't do it. You can't save people. But he calls us to participate with him. The God who can. The God who not only can, but actually delights to. Your job is simply to live a life that matches the Christ you say you profess to love and to proclaim good news. Who doesn't need more good news? I desperately overwhelm me this week in my email box or text me good news. It doesn't have to be all churchy. Hey, had a great interaction today. Hey, I just, I just was reminded once again that the Lord loves me. And if we all did that with one another, we wouldn't be like, oh, here comes some more good news. Uh. I'd be like, all right, another email. Woo! Oh, we should encourage one another. We should share good news with one another. Not in some trite way, but in a very serious way. But the work that's being done here in this text is to proclaim Christ, to trust the Spirit will work in and through you as He pleases. Will you trust Him to do that? I can tell you right now, with the two minutes that I have left, it is certainly not your job to say, well, off to hell with you then. It's not, it's not your job to say that. Well, I just can't believe. And then you fill in the blanks of whatever people you want to pick on. Go ahead. Well, this bunch of stupid kids. Oh, I lament and weep for you if that's your posture. Because you don't understand the God of grace you say you worship if you're God's people saying that. A Christ follower should never take delight in the condemnation of a human being, ever. Why do I say that? Because God's word says that. Ezekiel 33, 11. You want to look like Christ? Here's what it looks like to be Christ. God says, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die? Oh, house of Israel. When's the last time you weeped for the people you make fun of? I don't know. That's a question I had to work through today and all week. Does this match your heart posture? If not, it's it's time to change. And just know that something's wrong if that doesn't match your heart to say those who want nothing to do with Christ, oh God, have mercy on them. We should be moved to lament through tears at the thought of someone rejecting the very gospel that was meant to save their souls. 
Help us to do that, Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for Jesus Christ who not only is our Savior, but certainly is our example of what it means to live a life that is pleasing to you. Father, help us to weep. Help us to lament for this city, for this world. God, break our hearts for the things that break yours. And, and so many times I, when I think about praying that for us as a people, for myself as an individual, flood of things just come into my mind. God, break our hearts for the marriages that are on the brink of disaster. God, break our hearts for the single moms who are striving to keep their head above water financially, physically, mentally, emotionally. God, break our hearts for the, for the men and women who are addicted to pornography and sexual sins of all kinds. God, break our hearts for the teens who are drifting away from their families, from you, from the foundation that people have tried to lay in their lives. Lord, break our hearts. Lord, this city is beautiful, but make no mistake about it. Lord, we see this city is so broken. Pain, sorrow everywhere, often lurking beneath the smiles of people who say, oh, I'm doing great. Help us to see. Help us to see our neighbors. Help us to see our friends within this church community. Lord, help us to lament. And help us to lament as a people with hope. With hope, knowing that you do not waste anything. But God, we want to have a heart that is like your heart for this city. One that is always lamenting, but always hopeful. And help us to trust the God of all grace and all of your promises. Lord, create in us a heart that is like yours. We cannot do it, but we are trusting that you would. And God, as we do, may you receive all the glory. Lord, may you receive all the praise. May we just come to meet new brothers and sisters by your grace and your grace alone. We ask that you would do this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you found it helpful, we encourage you to enjoy more of our sermons, find out more information about For the City, or how to partner with us through prayer and giving at www.forthecity.church. For the City exists to magnify Jesus by making disciples who share and show the transforming power of the gospel and plant churches that multiply.